If the Bible's got you tied in knots If you're burdened with religious thoughts Come grab a drink and join the choir It's Heretic Happy Hour Well, 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 hello, my heretical friends. It is time for the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. My name is Keith Giles. I am... Uh, one of your co-hosts. I'm also the author of Jesus Unbound, Liberating the Word of God from the Bible. And I'm joined by my good friends and co-hosts, Matt DiStefano and Jamal Javanji. Hey guys, say howdy. Hi friends. This is Jamal. It's uh, great to be back on the Heretic Happy Hour podcast with you guys. And I uh, want to give a shout out to my Buckeyes who beat Michigan State this past weekend. Nice one. <laughs> I am, yes, moving on. Shut up. I am Matt DiStefano, author of Heretic and a couple other books. And I am happy to be distracted for a couple hours and doing an episode with you guys. Um, it's, it's good to be here. Yes. Glad you're safe. Yes. Glad you're safe. so glad. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. Yes, we'll, we'll get into that. But uh, Jamal, you, do you want to have an announcement or do you just want to tell these folks what we got for them? Um, you, what announcement are you referring to? There's something about a hotline. <laughs> oh, that someone told me. Oh, someone yes, told me. Yes, there was, yeah, I saw a post in our Facebook group. Yeah, okay. yeah. People keep talking about this hotline, and uh, you know, uh, our listeners are probably some of the most intelligent listeners that we that listen to podcast <clears throat> in this country. I think so, and I, I think so, and because uh, they're catching on that we do have a hotline, and so I will give out the number because um, actually, you know, some brilliant. Brilliant. Uh, Heretic Happy Hour podcast listener posted the number in the Facebook uh, group a couple of days ago. And I thought that was brilliant. I was like, I can't believe we haven't thought of that yet. We should just post the number <laughs> in the group. But she did. I think it was Meg. So thank you, Meg, for that. That was fantastic. And so now, because of that, we have the number here, which is the number is 2403 Heresy or 240 343 7379. And believe it or not, we can receive texts and voicemails mm -hmm. to this hotline. And we got a text that came in. Thank you for that, engineer. Here is the text, quote, Hi guys, I'm Kosh. I love your podcast and blogs. As someone who learned Christianity in a hardline evangelical ministry, I hid my doubts in more controversial questions for years for fear of being called a heretic. When I finally reached my breaking point and let everyone know that I don't believe in biblical inerrancy and I don't believe that God's going to whisk all the, quote, good Christians away to feast and watch the burning gladiator fight on earth from nice, comfy couches in heaven, <laughs> my church basically thought I was the devil incarnate. Ha ha. The pastor tried to tell me that no one else could possibly believe what I did and that he thought the devil had a grasp on me. That's why I was so happy when I found this podcast within the week. That's awesome. Wow. Um, th thank you for being open-minded and loving. You guys have a bigger impact than you know on Christians like me who feel alone and surrounded by fundamentalism all the time. I had a question that I would love to know your thoughts on. After going on a deployment to Iraq last year, I came back with my belief in just war theory thoroughly shaken. The idea that sometimes violence is necessary to achieve long-term peace or stop a greater evil that just doesn't seem sustainable to me. It seems like a lot of the violence that I was directly responsible for or witnessed there was not conducive to creating healing or restoration in any way. 
What are your guys' thoughts on the just war theory and if violence is ever a viable option for Christians? Unquote. Wow. Great, great text yeah. uh, from a listener. I really appreciate that. Yeah, that is yeah. a good one. I, yeah. I kind of have a strong the- uh, feeling about that that question there. So Do you? Yeah. Well, what's, what's, well this, this, seems, this seems like an entire episode, to be honest. Uh, no, it is, actually. I, and I can't believe we haven't done one, have we? Have we not done one on just right. war theory? Right. Or, golly, we got to do this. Put no. that on the list, man. Yeah, right. absolutely. Yes. Well, so great, great, great text. Well, I, I started this thing a couple of years ago called Pacifist Fight Club with a bunch of friends of mine. And we basically would have conferences and guest speakers and people that would come in and conscientious objectors and um, all kinds of really cool stuff. And we uh, and talked about this this exact topic. So, yeah, personally for me, I'm convinced that someone who follows Jesus uh, actually shouldn't participate in war. Um, I, I believe very simply that, and this was the feeling of the early Christians prior to Constantine, uh, universally, you can't find a Christian prior to Constantine who was pro-violence or in favor of using violence or uh, anything like that. Um, so that's kind of where I land. I feel like Christians should wield the cross and not the sword. And, uh, that if we're holding the sword, we can't be holding the cross. So that's my short answer. Thank you. Yeah. And I think, I think, uh, just a quick study of anthropology. Like if you're, you know, just looking at human history, you know, one of the definitions of insanity is Mm -hmm. doing the same things doing something the same way every time expecting a different result. Yep. So if you, if you're a study of his, if you're if you're a student of history and you and you look at anthropology, human human beings have been have been literally trying this out for so long. It's like uh, how I mean it go I mean you go back you know thousands and thousands and thousands of years of human history and people fight wars because they're afraid. They're afraid of an, another group, they're afraid of, you know, whether there's legitimacy or not to this. They believe if we hit back or if we it harder than that's how you keep the peace. <clears throat> so you'll hear statements like even, even a U.S. president was at Theodore Roosevelt, which is speak softly and carry a big stick, you know, or Ronald Reagan who talked about, you know, um, basically, you know, the, the idea that if you have a big enough military and you can, you have this threat of violence, then you can actually keep peace. And then, but I, interesting just the other day that we, um, celebrated the end. It was yesterday, I believe, uh, we we celebrated the end of World War One, mm-hmm. and uh, World War One was a uh, was actually the war to end all wars, uh, which is uh, ridiculous. That literally, it was the beginning of the 20th century, which is probably one of the most bloody centuries in human modern human history. And so, this idea that violence creates peace is it just is a failed idea. It doesn't work. Um, it it is it is literally, and I understand the caller or the the uh, the, the listener. Kush served in Iraq. I have visited Iraq. I've been to Iraq three times. I've, uh, I have, you know, been to hot spots around the world. I know exactly what he's talking about. There is just simply no good that comes from violence. Even if you're overthrowing a dictator, you know, this, um, again, there's no good options, but this idea that you can fight your way to peace or impose peace through a bomb or through a gun it, it has never worked. It never will work. We have to raise our level of consciousness. Yeah. And I just, I love what you guys are saying. Um, I think this, this deserves a whole uh, episode. So some, uh, to our listener, uh, uh, Kosh and, and others who would be interested in this, uh, we'll do a future episode and, and get into it. Um, but I think we have a voicemail as well. In addition to this text. Hi, this is Håkon from Norway. Um, been listening to you guys for 
quite a while now, and uh, I have a question for you. Um, or maybe two, but the first one, most important one, is I'm separated from my wife, and I we are trying to make it work, uh, really trying to make it work. But at the same time, I've been going through a serious deconstruction. So how <laughs> how on earth? Am I going to combine this with trying to approach my wife again? Um, yeah, that and how much is the fucking swear jar up to? Thank you. Bye. Wow. 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 <clears throat> um, oh, can I answer the second one? So the swear box is <laughs> well because it's my responsibility. No, please. Yeah, please. I, I'm curious too. Predominantly, like I. <laughs> Did we ever even come up with a price for how much we're donating for the swear jar? No, I don't, I don't think we did. Okay, so five hundred dollars. What, what, yeah, what we did was, I I took my royalties from the first month of my book Heretic, um, and so there was you know a couple hundred bucks. I don't remember how it was. It was like four or five hundred dollars, and, and and donated it to Preemptive Love Coalition. And so I figured that was going to be good enough, so I can just fucking say whatever the fuck I want, um, and. We we wouldn't actually keep a track. So yeah. So we did that in lieu of actually counting because I literally like when we first started the uh, the podcast a couple episodes in, I was trying to count how many, and I was just like I just gave up, and I was like let's <laughs> let's do a better idea. So we did that, and um, so I feel like I've got at least a couple thousand more fucks in me before I got to come up with a different <laughs> way to donate. <laughs> oh, I wish I had a T-shirt that said that. That was that's awesome. <laughs> Uh, so, so I'll yeah. answer the second one. You guys can answer. I mean, gosh, that um, wow, that was kind of a heavy question. Yeah, I don't. I don't uh, think we're really great. This show is not really great at like relationship advice. So it's. Uh, I mean, I recognize that. Uh, we. I think we've dealt before about the fact that deconstruction can itself can be the cause of stress in the marriage. I. I didn't get that from his from the voicemail though. I feel like what he was saying is that. Hey, I'm going through a divorce unrelated to my deconstruction, and at the same time, I'm going through deconstruction. And it, and it's sort of like you've got sort of this double whammy going on. Um, I don't know what to tell you. You know, it's sort of like you're just going through a lot of change in your life, and it seems like, um, yeah, I don't know what to tell you. It, it seems like you would need to approach the relationship totally separate from your deconstruction. Well, and that and that's it. That. Um... I don't want to plug my next book, but uh, Danielle Kingstrom, a listener of the show, and I are writing a book on marriage. And what my research is telling me is that in in terms of like, when I think about deconstruction, we have to go through this process of knowing who we are as people and not attaching who we are to like beliefs in others. So we, we go through this process of differentiating from others. And um yeah, I mean the best advice. I, I if if people want to work on their marriage, if they want to reconcile and make it work, to see a therapist. We had Mark Mark Karras on the show, isn't he a therapist, guys? We had him a couple episodes back. I mean, oh yeah, yeah. Do you have Do you have Mark's home phone Is number? It... Can we just give that give that number? <laughs> no, but no, but we have a website. <laughs> oh, I think, right? Yes. www.markgregorykaris k a r r i s dot com. And he's also a choir author. I, I really love so, that you actually yeah. said www.markgregorykara. Uh, uh, it's been a long <laughs> week. You're going to have to All right. To no, me. I just love it. Gonna, yeah. <laughs> All righty. Well, that was yeah. cool. Yeah. Well, yeah. 
I, I have a few things I could say to this caller. Okay. Um, one of the things I'd love to say, you know, say to this, uh, to our listener here is, man, um, I, I hear your heart and your, your, the, the fact that you're going through, um, a separation, uh, from the, you know, the person I'm, you know, I'm sure that you've given your life to and you're in love with is not easy. I totally understand what that feels like. Um, it's, it is really difficult. And the fact that you are going through deconstruction, but I do want to give you some hope. Uh, I actually do, uh, I do coaching and, and actually one of my clients that I am, I'm working with, um, is going through a very similar situation, uh, that you're going through. And, um, I actually think your deconstruction can be your best friend in your relationship. Now I know that might sound crazy, but, um, it doesn't matter if what your spouse believes to be completely honest, all that matters is what you believe. So if your deconstruction, if you're moving into a place where you are more at peace with yourself, that you find you, you find that God is not, um, accepting of people based on what they believe that God is accepting of everybody based on the fact that you exist and that you're enough and, um, and that you bear the image and likeness of the divine, then you can begin to see that the, it only takes one person. But if you can begin to see your spouse, not as someone who believes different than you, because again, you can focus on that and that's not going to help you. But if you can see your spouse as literally an image and likeness of the divine, if you can, if you can see her that way and begin to like literally even create intentions around that, where you're, where you're literally choosing to view her in a certain way, uh, to view her as a gift that's given to you, even though there's struggles going on right now, she's a gift that's given to you. She bears the image and likeness of the divine to you that in itself. And it doesn't matter what she believes or what she does that will change the frequency in your relationship. And I, I believe that with all of my heart and I've seen it work a, a lot of times. Um, and I've experienced that even in my own life. So, I uh, just want to encourage you with that and uh, hang in there. Yes. Uh, but I do think your yeah. construction can be actually uh, one of your greatest allies in your relationship. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And thank you for, for such a vulnerable voicemail. Um, so let's get, uh, let's get going. I want to tell you all that we do have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash heretic happy hour. And just want to thank, uh, we have two new um, patrons, uh, Ellen Rumpf and Michelle Burdett. Uh, Michelle's a friend of mine. Our daughters go to school together. Love you, Michelle. Thank you so much. And we're so blessed that you've decided to support us on a monthly basis. Um, if, if the listeners, if you guys want to listen, if you guys want to support what we do, go to patreon.com slash heretic happy hour. Uh, we'd greatly appreciate it. Um, it, helps, uh, it helps support the show and helps bring um, uh, uh, these conversations to y'all. Yeah. Awesome. Absolutely. And speaking of giving, uh, I wanted to also make sure that you guys... Um, that we, that we say here on the podcast that if you don't know, um, Matthew DeStefano's family, his wife's family, um, a lot of, uh, I think, uh, her parents, grandparents, and then his family as well and friends, um, basically were very much impacted by this recent wildfire in California, the Camp Fire, uh, where over, I think, 7,000 homes are destroyed. We think the death toll is over. Last I heard, it was like 25 or so, but we're expecting it to go uh, over 100, maybe 200 or more. Um, it, it's devastating. It's the worst wildfire in California history. And um, because our dear friend and brother, Matthew, uh, is personally impacted by this fire, I think uh, Matt even said he's got some evacuees staying with him at the moment. He didn't have to be evacuated himself, but he's actually 
got some people staying with them uh, until they figure out what's going on. So if you could, what we're doing, we put together a GoFundMe page just today. Um, you can go to gun, GoFundMe.com slash wildfire dash relief dash four F-O-R dash DiStefano. We'll also put that link uh, online on Facebook and the Facebook group and uh, both uh, all, all three of us, um, Jamal and Matt and myself will be sharing that also and encourage you to share it and, and donate as well. $5, $20, anything you can give, um, you know, will help out. You know, so they need everything. Pretty much, I think, uh, family members, you were saying, Matt, that pretty much had only maybe 10, 15 minutes to grab a few things and throw it into a suitcase or the back of their car uh, and, and now have lost everything. So it's pretty devastating and we want to be able to help. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I'll just say a quick word about it. Um, yeah, I grew up in Paradise. I went to Paradise High School. I went to Paradise uh, Pines Elementary, which is in Paradise, and the Intermediate Middle School. Um, my my wife's uh, parents lost their home. Her aunt and uncle lost their home. Grandparents lost their home. My grandfather lost his apartment. And we're still waiting to hear on my the, the home I uh, lived in because uh, it's in a town called Magalia. And there's still fire going on, so we haven't heard yet as of recording this. And so... We're just trying to raise money. Yeah, we have we have Lindsay's, uh, my wife's family, uh, staying with us right now until they figure it out, like Keith said. And uh, it's just been, I mean, what can I say? I mean, it, it's all been said. Like it's it's yeah. fucking horrible. I mean, oh, you're you're gonna hit me on no, that. No, I'll one. give you a pass. I thought I, I'll I, give you. I'll, I pay for that give, one. I'll pay for that one. Yeah, fuck that, Ralph. <laughs> <laughs> ah, bastard. Brutal. Um, yeah, brutal. Um, but so yeah, any bit helps. I mean. Yeah, like like you said, people literally were at work and did not have time to go home. They just left and ran, like literally ran, got out of their cars and ran. Um, I'm sure there's videos. You y'all have seen it. Yeah, it's horrible. Um, and so yeah, uh, and our town where I'm living at Chico, we're safe, and um, it was sketchy for a little bit, but we're good. And so we're just pulling people together and donating what we can to the centers. And if you could go to that GoFundMe page, it'd be super helpful because like literally everything's gone. We're just buying groceries and, you know, soap and uh, toothbrushes and all that shit. So, um, like (laughs) maybe that was the sound effect of money. That was donating money. The next time, the next time I see Ralph, man, I was slapping. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, but anyway, yeah, we would, Super appreciate it. So, um, and and we'd be very appreciative if you even, whatever you can give, goes a long way. So, yeah, thank you in advance. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, thank you everybody. We appreciate it. And now it's time for the heretic of the week. It's the heretic of the week. Hi, I am Sarah Heath, and I am the heretic of the week. Hi, Hi Sarah. Sarah. <laughs> Sarah. You guys need to work at that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, we kind of do that a little bit on purpose with as little emotion and energy as we possibly can. It's just uh, a lot of fun that way. So you've nailed it. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so, Sarah, um, I this is Keith. I'm so excited to have you on. And and uh, people don't know how hard it was to nail down a date that all four of us could get on a, a call to do this. So I'm even more excited that we actually found some time that we could do this interview with you. So thank you so much for, for being our guest. Absolutely. I'm sorry that it's so early in the morning. Oh, that's yeah, that's okay. okay. Oh, it's all good. It's, it's never too early to drink on the Heretic Happy Hour. Come on now. 
That's right. <laughs> I'm Canadian, so that's actually our country's motto. <laughs> Canada, it's never too early to drink. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. So, uh, hey, I, uh, I, I want to again thank you for being on the the podcast, and um, I don't know if I should. Well, let's just get into our first question, and we'll we'll discuss more uh, sure. as we go. So, so Sarah, um, we always want to start off by asking, why is it that people that some people think that you are a heretic? I think probably the the base level of why I'm a heretic is due to my ovaries. Um, so as a woman, <laughs> as a woman who is called into uh, ministry, I think that's usually the most uh, obvious thing that folks are a little upset about. So um, I'm Sarah Heath, but some people know me as the Reverend Sarah Heath. And so I'm an ordained clergy person. And uh, I think that for a lot of people is a stretch because they grew up in a tradition where uh, only men are ordained because women were told to be silent. And so in, in, the, in their understanding and in their um, not so great translation, uh, they mm-hmm. think that it means that all women are to be silent. And mm-hmm. so um, unless they're teaching Sunday school. Uh, right. So it's just this really, I think that's probably the part, place where we start. Uh, I think people probably think I'm a heretic because of my uh, beliefs around inclusion and affirmation of folks who have often been excluded from the church community. Uh, probably people think I'm a heretic because hell for me is not the biggest concern. Um, it's more about how we're living in this world now. And so, yeah, I think those are all the things that will put me on a stake at some point. Yeah. Well, those are three really great things. and. Um... Wow, that's awesome. So I want you to talk to be burned alive. Yeah, for. well, it's You're worth it. Right. It's worth it. Right. Um, I want you to talk a little bit about uh, the fact that you, A, that you are a minister. And um, if you can, and if, you've, if, you, if you're comfortable talking about it, like, I know that it probably wasn't, it hasn't been an easy road for you to end up where you are. Um, and can you talk a little bit about yeah. that? Like, first of all, Sarah, who, what even gave you the idea that you, of all people, could possibly ever be a minister? Like, why would you even, uh, you know, be right. so bold as to take a walk in this direction with your life? I think for uh, for me, I had I grew up in Canada until I was fourteen, and so there's the problem, right? Um, so yeah. I grew up in Canada until I was fourteen, and uh, I had the example of like amazing women in ministry. Um, and so for me, I actually came to the faith in some ways because of uh, a female pastor. And so it wasn't odd for me at all. But then I moved to Mississippi, and that's where life got interesting. Yeah. Um, uh-oh. I like yeah. that uh-oh is your response to Mississippi's actually, you know what, Mississippi to me is like that aunt that everybody else is like, that's a weird aunt. And I know my aunt's weird, but if you talk bad about my aunt, I'm coming for you. That's how I feel about Mississippi. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was it was a, a weird place and yet it was this amazing and wonderful and beautiful place. And I love it in so many ways. And yet I also know that it's got some real um, issues and difficulties. So actually what was interesting for me is in Mississippi, I, you know, I studied biology and psychology and I did acting and I just really couldn't figure out what I was meant to do with my life. And at the time I'd been going to, this was when I was in college, I was going to both a Methodist and a Baptist group. I was going to a Methodist group because when we moved to Canada or when we moved from Canada, our pastor told us kind of the most close that would sort of fit our um, theology and kind of how we believed in, um, believed in like the idea of social gospel, but also, um, you know, who Jesus is and was, um, for us, it was just going to be a really good fit. And so found a Methodist church. So I was part of what was known as the Wesley foundation, which is the college ministry for Methodists, but I was also part of the Baptist student unit. And if I'm honest, it's because their worship leaders were hotter 
Um, and <laughs> yeah. you know, I was a sorority girl who, you know, that was, there was a lot more like cool guys in the Baptist student union and I didn't really know much of a difference. And so, um, I kind of then began to hear more of the pretty conservative, uh, Christianity that I had kind of heard about. And, um, I had experienced definitely trying to fit in and try to be part of that. And I don't think I ever belonged, but I tried to fit in. And I think there's a difference between belonging and fitting in. Um, and so I, mm. I remember just uh, not knowing what to do with my life. And I often tell this story because uh, I went to the guidance counselor of the program that I was a part of because like my sophomore year, I still hadn't declared a major. And so they made me go to this uh, career counselor and I met with her and I took this, um, you know, this academic thing where you like figure out, and it was like a really long test to try to figure out what I was meant to do. And I remember coming back and being in her office and she's actually a friend of my mom. So this makes us laugh to this day because I went to college about 30 minutes away from my parents, but I ended up living on campus and all that kind of stuff. So I had this great experience of being far enough away from home that I didn't see my parents all the time. But also anytime I wanted to go use a hot tub, I was in good shape. <laughs> so I went uh, into the guidance counselor and she said, this has never really happened for us before you score um, level across all aptitudes. And what I heard was nothing is going to make you happy. Right. Um, right. But what she was saying is you can hmm. do anything. Um, and then she said, and I, I, I'm not making this up. This is the most aggressively specific guidance counseling you're ever going to hear. Because I was really um, uh, talented in some ways in art. And then I also had a lot of my observation hours for being a vet. She said, you could do the interior design of vet clinics. That was my guidance counselor's advice. Wow. What? It's aggressively that is very specific. specific. <laughs> yeah. So I, the aggressively specific advice of being a um, interior de decorator for a vet clinic just wasn't super helpful. And so I really had a, a lot of questions about mm -hmm. what I was meant to do. And I had all these interests, like I was super into music and I was into art and I was into uh, just all these things. And it wasn't until I was on a retreat with a bunch of um, high school students that I've been volunteering with that one of the kids actually said to me, Sarah, I feel like you have so many interests that it's so easy to talk to you and you can relate to any of us. And so um, he said, it's easy to talk to you about God because it's easy to talk to you about anything. And that was sort of the thing that sort of started this shift in me of like, hey, maybe I can use all these things that I felt like made me weird to actually connect me to other people. And so on another beach retreat, because um, that's what mm -hmm. we do in Mississippi. We just go to beach retreats. Um, I met, was just with my um, uh, college pastor who uh, was a woman who was a college pastor for the Wesley Foundation. And I remember saying to her, hey, I feel like I'm being called into ministry. And she said, thank God we all <laughs> thought that, but no one wanted to tell you. So that is my very long story of how I mm -hmm. ended up in ministry. It was not something I ever thought I would want to do. And even through seminary, if you read my journals, it's like, oh, seminary is cool, but I I wonder what I'll do with my life. Um, and preaching was the last thing on earth I wanted to do. I just didn't think that was my my jam, but I ended up um, really excelling in that and really enjoying crafting sermons. And so that's how I got so much audacity to become a female pastor. And it, you know what? The hardest it ever was, and this is just interesting because uh, <laughs> Ralph and I have this uh, history, is I... Um, the hardest it ever was was when I came to Southern California and I wanted to find community. And so I started attending a church that's non-denom. Great church, great community, great people. Um, but they, the folks who were part of that community had a really tough time with what my actual job was. And so um, 
just the isolation I felt and not feeling like I could fully be present to who I am and what I am. I remember going to a party where everyone at this church uh, or everyone at the party was from this church. And this one guy who was super drunk just kept saying to me, you're not supposed to be a pastor. And I was like, you're not supposed to be drunk. Like, what is going on? Like, thanks, Drunker McDrunkerson. Also, until very recently, you were trying to pick me up. So I'm not really sure what's going on here. Um, But it's interesting to me how this area is particularly conservative in that area. And it's been the most vocal about like, I don't think this is a good, you know. And Mississippi was a little more supportive. So there you go. Wow. Well, I'm curious, Sarah, I'm I'm curious about... um, and obviously you, you moved into ministry and you're a pastor now. It's true. Um, yeah. How has that, I'm always curious about how that affects, what's the effect on your, I don't know if you're married or if you, your relationship, but how does that affected your relationships um, to be a pastor and um, the role that you play, you know, in other people's lives that you're very involved in shepherding people, yeah. you know, helping counseling people. How does that affected your like primary relationships? It, um, that's funny. I have a podcast called Saunderless, the podcast all about this. Um, I think it's actually been really difficult. Um, I think it was, um, I'm not married and I don't have kids. And I think for me growing up, the idea that that would even be possible, that I wouldn't be married or have kids was really, really like outside of my thoughts. You know, when I was mm-hmm. 15, I dated the same guy for three and a half years. When I was in college, it was always like, one guy for an entire year. You know, I, I was always a serial monogamous. Relationships were easy for me. Um, and then when I did seminary, same thing. It was only once I became a pastor yep. that I think we have really taught um, men in the Christian culture that women who are leaders within Christianity, it's a intimidation right. thing that yep. I've never experienced before. Um, I could be anything. I could be a doctor who, you know, all these things. But that, it's this weird thing that we've taught people that, in some way I'm going to dominate or be, or be like holier than thou. And I'm like, do you, have you met me? Um, what about this as none? Um, you know, like I just, it has been really, really painful. It's been really difficult. You know, the joke is all of my exes marry a school teacher. Mm. Um, I think because it's just, it's easier to explain to your friends. It's easier to, um, be around, you know? Uh, and I think it's a really, it has been a really hard thing for me. Um, and really painful, if I'm honest. You know, most of my friends are married. Most of my friends have kids. And uh, I'm, I just had a birthday, so I'm in my late 30s now. Um, and I think it's just been one of those things where uh, I've been angry with God about it. You know, like this call is so great, but it's so isolating mm. sometimes. Um, people who really value you can dehumanize you pretty quickly. So you're on a pedestal and anything you do or say can be taken at a, at a level that I don't think there really is any other place where that's true. And so for me, um, I really took this year, which is what my podcast was about, to figure out whether or not this was the life I wanted and whether or not, um, you know, it was possible to be a human and be a pastor. And sometimes I don't know the answer to that, but I think even asking the question has opened the space up for a lot of people. So it's been, yes. yeah, it's been harmful, I would say. Yeah, to I my, a great question. Yeah. So can I, can yeah. I ask a uh, Sorry, Sarah, I was just going to ask a, a question. I think it's kind of related to what you're saying. So I'm just curious, um, have you found that <clears throat> that men in your who, who attend your church and who are members of your church, do you find that men are more reluctant to come to you for wisdom or counseling or, you know, to like another, I, I'm just curious because like you're talking about the fact that, I, and I get it, that like for many men uh, who would who would consider possibly dating you or marrying you would be 
you know, wow, but she's she's a pastor. So I'm just curious if it affects people, if it affects men in your congregation, do they do they kind of shy away, do you think? Or do you think it, it doesn't matter to them? Are they more used to it? You know, I think if you're in my congregation, you um, know I'm a woman. <clears throat> so uh, <laughs> 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 I think you're already a different sort of... <laughs> You know, it's interesting. My congregation is filled with a lot of what we call spiritual nomads. So the nuns and duns. Um, yeah. A lot of them were super involved in other church communities where women weren't in leadership. And so they find it super refreshing. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so I think they, they, they don't shy away from having those conversations with me or seeking guidance. The other thing is, is I work really hard to take the wall down and, um, kind of, I try to say, you know, look, I've had all these um, amazing opportunities to study and have, you know, time set apart where I'm learning stuff. And so I can offer some of that wisdom yeah. to you, but I'm also a fellow journeyer. So I'm not um, the voice of authority in the way that um, sometimes, you know, I want to ask you some questions that are important, but I'm not going to come at you in an authoritative way. And so for a lot of our people, that is, um, that's a unique experience because they have been in very authoritative settings. You know, I, mm. I tell this story. Um, I taught, a, my friend invited me a couple months ago to come and speak to his group that he leads. And it's about 40 uh, young folks, men, women. Um, a lot of them came out of uh, Biola and Vanguard and they're leading, um, <clears throat> excuse me, they're leading different church communities and, um, or, or are a part of different things. And they have what they call these like controversial conversations. And it's really neat, right? So they have these big, questions and conversations. And one of their controversial issues was women in ministry, um, which made me laugh because I was driving there and I was talking to my best guy friend. I was like, I think I'm going to make them have the conversation in the kitchen and I'm not going to wear any shoes. <laughs> like it's 2018. Mm. How am I controversial? But okay. So I show up and this guy, these guys are asking all these questions. And then I'm sharing with them the biblical work that I've done around even understanding Paul yes. as someone who supported women in ministry, which we know because he even refers to women in ministry. Yes. And when he right. talks about yep. you women be silent, it's specific women. If you look at the language, yes. if you do the work, you realize it's these women who were spreading gossip and lies that were hurt, yep. hurting the gospel. That yep. was the women who were not meant to talk, not all the women. So anyway, right. Um, so I say this and these guys looks on their faces are incredible. One woman is like crying um, over the, like finally hearing that her call is legitimate. So this guy raises his hand and um, I also need you to know they were giving me a lot of wine. It was late at night. So um, I was a little more open than I sometimes am. So this guy raises his hand and he's like, um, I like after this really want to tell you that I believe in women in ministry. And I was like, awesome. And he is like, but like, what if I have a problem? And how do I protect my wife? And I need to like meet with you for lunch. And so you and I go to lunch together and like, how do I protect my wife? You know? And I was like, well, the first question I have for you is, do you want to sleep with everyone you go to lunch with? Because that might be the problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if lunch is somehow erotic to you, that's where we need to start with the conversation. Oh, yeah. And I said, you know, you don't want to sleep with all your coworkers. And even if you do, like, that's not what marriage is about. And we have created this weird dichotomy where if you're around a woman who is intelligent and smart and interesting and wh whatever it might be, that you somehow are harming the other women in your life. And that's right. It really, we've taught people just such a sad understanding. And then the other question that I just knocked out of the park and I don't think they'll ever invite me back. They might. Um, this guy was like, like, what do you do with all the language about men in the Bible? Like it's, God is male, like in the Bible, oh, what do you do about that? Wow. And I looked at him and I was like, 
you know, there is some language about God being female, but also, you know, that was the more commonly used uh, pronouns. And then I said, also, so God has a penis right. in your construct. Right. And he was like, mm. uh, uh. Right. <laughs> I was like, why does God need a penis? And he was like, um, I've never thought about that. Right. <laughs> I was like, there you go. Yeah, we actually did a podcast called God Does Not Have a Penis. <laughs> About, about, this exact, about this exact issue that, you know, God is not a male or female that, and here's the thing, like we, if you explain that to people, if you say, look, God is not male or female, right? God isn't, uh, I mean, when God made people in his image, it says he made them in his image, both men, man and woman, right? So it's male and female are both the image of God. It's not one or the other. But so, yeah, but, it, but it's funny when you when you you have to walk people through that progression of thought, because otherwise they only lean on the, uh, the the male descriptions and they ignore the female descriptions or even just ignore the fact that God is a spirit and not doesn't have a physical form in the sense of or have it. As you said, he doesn't have a, a penis or a vagina or anything else. And dude with a beard, you know, I like it. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I have a friend that says that um, that God is not genderless. Sometimes we like to refer to God as genderless, but God is gender full. You know, obviously, male and female are created in the image of God, so that would mean God is full of gender. So, I would just just curious, like, um, how is it difficult? You know, and again, we you know have had a lot of conversations with with others about this topic, but I'm just curious on from your perspective, was it a stretch to think of God in the in the? How has it been to refer or to think of God as mother or feminine, you know, obviously God gets a lot of airplay as father, but do you see God as mother? Do you see God as sister? I mean, how does that, how does that, um, how does that, how do you reconcile that or how do you live that out? I mean, I think some of the language even around um, God is nurturing, you know, the, we have such cultural bound, like boundaries that we've created around, like, what does it mean to be woman and mother and all this sort of thing, you know, um, but even the idea of creative, like God um, is able to create out of nothing. Um, and although mm -hmm. men and women need each other to create life, there is this really unique place and space where God is creative in a way that sometimes um, is by, you know, defined by the female gender. And so um, for me, it's not, I don't need God to be in a male or female body, um, you know, or even in a male or female language. like. God is so big. Uh, you know, I have friends in the seminary who wouldn't even write the word because mm. for them it was so holy. Mm. And um, we take that from our Jewish brothers and sisters. You know, people, <laughs> I love the kids right. who like leave Bible college and they get Yahweh tattooed on them. I'm like, do you have any idea how offensive that is? Um, right, right. Like Yahweh was mm. literally the breath way of avoiding saying the name that is holier than any name. Um, right. So I think there's just this um thing that we do because we need things to have boxes in place. I mean, why are we so upset when right. someone says they're transgender? Right. Because it doesn't yeah. fit our paradigm and our box and our understanding. But right. culturally, there's all kinds right. of cultures where that's normal or, you know, not yes. without, not without a, or outside of boundaries. I just think that we, we've just done such a disservice and put our own spin on things. And I think often people who claim that people are contextualizing things so horribly are the ones who don't realize like, Everything has a lens. Everything. There is no way. I can't look at the Bible without, I can't take off my femininity. I can't take off my education. I can't take off the lens that I have. Mm -hmm. No one can. Yeah. And if they tell you they mm -hmm. can, they're lying. Yeah. So, Sarah, we like to um, wrap 
our interviews up um, by having our guests tell our listeners where they can get a hold of you before, um, and, and of course, some of the work that you're doing um, coming up. But before, I just had a quick question. You went to Duke. Did you ever have Douglas Campbell as a professor? Sure did. Oh, man, I love him. Um, so you mentioned Paul, so I, I'm sure that, uh, that, that yeah. he's influenced your life in some way, and oh, I absolutely sure. love the work with Paul that he's doing. So um, even on this show, <laughs> Jamal, uh, Jamal has – I don't know if Jamal likes Paul right. as much as I do, but after reading Campbell, I'm convinced Paul was not as much of an asshole as we like to think he was. I used to but, tell people like, that Paul and I broke up in college, and we would only attend, occasionally talk when it was about our mutual friend Jesus. <laughs> like Paul was thrown at me only when I was in college and I was like wait a minute who's this guy but who's it is <laughs> doing the work with Douglas Camel and there was uh, another professor who um, I, I actually took a class in on Paul and it was uh-huh. it was great yeah so um, I guess the second part of what I uh, what I asked where can people get a hold of you what do, sure. what exciting projects do you have coming up you mentioned a podcast yeah. um, I'm sure you have a social media imprint and all that. Yeah. So Rev Sarah Heath um, and super easy to find me, RevSarahHeath.com, RevSarahHeath on Twitter, RevSarahHeath on Instagram. The podcast is called Sonder Lust, the podcast. Sonder, S-O-N-D-E-R means to notice that other people are living different lives than you. Sonder Lust is to want their lives. So it's all uh, <laughs> based around a 52-week challenge that my best friend gave me um, almost in a year ago to uh, oh, wow. change my life because he felt like I was mostly living for other people and uh, that I had kind of lost my Sarah-ness, as he would say. So uh, mm. I uh, have for the last 52 weeks done crazy things like online dated and met with a health coach and just things I would never do. And so it's it's wrapping up. There's three more episodes, but I would suggest you start at the beginning. And it has been such a fun journey and so much fun. Um, I wrote a book called What's Your Story? Seeing Your Life Through God's Eyes and using... Um, so my book was using Joseph Campbell's uh, story narrative to look at scripture. And so it's looking at Joseph oh, cool. from the Old Testament through Joseph Campbell's eyes. Um, oh. And then you, I just started a new book that'll come out in the spring, and it's called 21 Days to Authenticity, the 21 Day Challenge. So, yep, that's what I'm doing. And you can find me all over the place. Um, careful, though, if you look on Amazon and look for my books, um, Sarah Heath, there's two of us. One of us writes about theology and life, and the other one writes about cats. So <laughs> oh. prolific. We're talking nice. like two hundred well, books. Have you never? So, and which one yeah, do you write about? Yeah. Are you? Yeah. So I earlier shared with you that being a female pastor means that my social life's dead. So I'm the one who writes about cats. <laughs> oh, of course, of course. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you know, everyone says they read the book uh, "I Kiss Dating Goodbye." I always joke that when I started in ministry, dating kissed me goodbye. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Awesome. Well, Sarah, thank you so much yep. for being our guest on the Heretic Happy oh, Hour. Gosh, it was great. Uh, I really enjoyed getting to meet you in person. And um, and, I, and and I was very excited to hear what you're doing uh, as a pastor, as a new pastor, I believe, at this church, this Methodist church in Costa Mesa. Yeah, only been there two years. Yeah. So. And um, so, yeah, if anybody lives locally in the area and is interested in checking it out, uh, yeah, go. go. First That's United. Right. We are the oldest church in Costa Mesa. Right. So. First United Methodist Church of Coast. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. God bless you. Awesome. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks for coming. You're welcome. All right. So good. Well, guys, I have a scenario for you, for you guys. Okay. Um, Imagine there was a man um, who lived uh, in a, in a part of the world where 
men kind of ruled the show and lived in a time period where in which men kind of ruled the world and uh, so anywhere yeah well yeah pretty much but this this was a, a part of the world that really 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 like uh, kind of invented this kind of thinking you know we call it patriarchal thinking but it kind of comes from this part of the world um at least the, as far as i know but um imagine this man was enlightened and did not um, subscribe to those rules. And imagine this man had incredible relationships and he defied those social norms in which excluded women, pr- predominantly excluded women, or put them down. Imagine that some of this man, some of these men's greatest friends and followers were women. And imagine once he died that that he actually kind of handed off the reins to a woman to be kind of the teacher of the teachers. Wait, and wait, they, was her name Mary Magdalene? It could be, could be. I'm not saying, I'm just saying it could be, could be. <laughs> and now imagine, you know, this woman very active travels around and has a, as influence in communities and is very active. And imagine that there's a lot of things going on, not just with her, but with other groups. And then imagine about 300 and some odd years going by and imagine the slow evolution of going back to patriarchy and imagine a small group of people that claimed to speak for the entire movement created a book in the fourth century that excluded a lot of the, the acts of these women. And then all we have is testimony from a man who was predominantly the one who was given a voice in the, in the church going forward. And there were some things that he wrote that are hard to understand because we don't have the context quite right. And then there's been people who speculate on that context. And in some of his writings, he said that women should be silent or that a woman should not have authority over a man. That's, that's the transliteration of what we have. That's, and we can argue that those are bad translations, but that's where we find ourselves. So the topic of the day yep. is all that being said, yep. should women be silent? Yeah, well, it's in the Bible. I mean, the Bible says, I don't know why, you know, what is there to talk about? Uh, No, well. um, End of show. (laughs) Thanks for coming. Thanks thanks for listening, everybody. It's been great. Uh, Well, this is. (laughs) 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 Oh, well, all right. (laughs) Okay, all right, all right. Well, put down. All right, Barrett, put down the banjo, Barrett. Put down the banjo. Okay. Well, I guess there is a little bit more to say about that. Well, first of all, like, like you're saying, Jamal, it's not hard to imagine that. That is kind of, I think, exactly a summary of, uh, uh, you know, what what we ended up with, what we've inherited. So, I agree. Um, Jesus was extremely radically inclusive of women. Uh, he let women sit at his feet, and even said that what what the, what those women had chosen would not be taken away. I uh, was very emphatic about that. And fortunately, though, it has been taken away. Um, and, and it was taken away by the church, um, by church leadership. And, and many scriptures, uh, as you just alluded to there, Jamal, many scriptures are used as sort of the clobber verses to, quote unquote, sort of prove that. Even though in Acts chapter 2, you know, when the, when Pente- the Holy Spirit falls at Pentecost, you know, it says, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. So uh, kind of, we have a tension. I think at least we have to admit wherever you happen to stand on this issue of women in ministry or women in, you know, women teaching or being silent or whatever, you, I think you have to at least be aware of the fact that there is a tension in the new Testament 
when it comes to this issue? Because you do have, well, what about on one side, Jesus does this and says this, and on the other side, Paul does this and says this. But then, yeah, there are these other verses that appear uh, to silence women. So, um, well, if you guys don't mind, I'd like to talk about at least one of these verses, 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, and you guys can jump in because I think you guys probably both kind of know where I'm coming from on, on this one. That First Corinthians is a problem. First of all, the whole book is kind of a problem. The the first thing is that First Corinthians is not First Corinthians. Uh, it, it's right. probably whoa 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 whoa. Sorry, no. It's it even says in First Corinthians, by the way, that it's not the first letter. Uh, we don't have right. the original letter. Uh, and in fact, nope. then they wrote a letter back to Paul. And then First Corinthians, what we have now in our Bibles, is actually Second Corinthians because it's the second letter he wrote to them right. in response to the letter right. they wrote to him, which was in response to the first letter, which we also don't have. So, um, so because of that, what we, what we think is happening, and I, I tend to feel that this is what's happening in first Corinthians, uh, is that it's a response letter. And so what you have is Paul quoting chunks of their letter to, to what, you know, questions they asked him or statements they made to him. And then, then he's responding to those statements. So the problem, of course, this creates is that if you just whip open your Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians and put your finger there in the middle of the, of the book, you're going to read something like, well, it says right there, Paul says, quote, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says. And if they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is, it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Well, there's a lot wrong, big, huge problems with those two sentences right there, uh, because you can say if you want, hey, Paul said this, but uh, it doesn't make any sense that Paul said that because, right, like all of the chapters prior to this, 1 Corinthians, you know, 1 through 13, Paul is giving instruction for how women should prophesy in the church, which means they're not going to be silent. They're going to be prophesying. You have to speak to prophesy. Yeah, his only concern is that they cover their head when they prophesy. Um, so, and then to, for Paul to say something like, women are not allowed to speak, but they must be in submission as the law says, well, the law says no such thing. And Paul, who was, you know, a Pharisee of Pharisees, as he says, who studied on, under Gamaliel, would have certainly not been confused about the fact that the law does, says no such thing. Um, <clears throat> and so there's a really good chance that those two verses there, 1 Corinthians 14, verses 34 and 35, uh, are, this is the section where Paul is quoting what they said to him, not what he would ever say. Paul would never, I think, ever say anything like that based on, the, based on what we know Paul has already said. Um, yeah. So anyway, this is, it's, yeah, this is the, this is a problem with Paul and, and I know Jamal doesn't like Paul and I do, but it's like, it's like people take Paul <laughs> and what Paul is, is basically doing is Paul is two people when he's writing these right. letters. And so it would be like taking an argument between Keith and Jamal and, and then putting it all together, not this isn't an exact analogy and then saying this is you know matt's view and it's like no this is <laughs> and uh, this this is the problem is that paul's the paul says things like there is no male or female in christ right and then we go to these places and we're like well but paul says that a woman needs to shut up and give authority to the husband and be silent and not say things in church and not blah 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 blah, blah. it's like wait a second well then if paul's saying both things it's like he's talking out of both of his mouth out of both sides of his right. mouth so he's telling women to shut up, and then he's like, "Well, there's no male or female." And it's like, dude, this this guy's either not saying what we think he's saying, 
or he's so all over the map, which is why he's given scholars fits, which is why we all argue on Paul. <laughs> you know, we, right. we go all, on one side of Paul and then there's a complete opposite side of Paul and we're arguing against each other. And, and it's like, well, maybe, maybe Paul is speaking to a context. Maybe Paul is like, oh, you said this? Get out of here with that. And here's why. And, and maybe Paul's doing that. Because if, if Paul's really anti-woman, then we just don't need Paul. But I don't think Paul no, is. No, I don't think he is either. I think, <clears throat> like I said, there's all sorts of evidence that Paul is very pro-women. Paul goes on and on and on in many, um, many of his letters praising women. He names women. Paul, Paul is the guy who names female apostles. He names Junia in Romans 16.7. He names Priscilla in Romans 16.3. Phoebe. Uh, Phoebe. Phoebe. That's right. He names Phoebe. Uh, he names Priscilla. Um, oh, I already mentioned Priscilla. And then he mentions, um, well, in the book of Acts, we have, the daughters of Philip that they were, that they would uh, prophesy. Um, you know, it's like, it's not Paul. I don't, I disagree that Paul is anti-woman. I think actually, if you take the bulk of what he says, he's very pro woman. And then it doesn't make it again. It, it doesn't make any sense that these, these one or two verses that appear to be anti-women could really truly be what he thought. It, I think again, he's posing an argument or he's responding to an actual statement. Someone else made, um, and again, going back to like the first Corinthians passage, uh, again, the law never silences women, but you know what does the Talmud, uh, and there's several quotes from the Talmud that say things like a woman's voice is prohibited because it is sexually provocative. That's in, uh, Barakat 24a. Um, and also, uh, women are sexually seductive, mentally inferior, socially embarrassing. Um, the, the Talmud calls the voice of a woman shameful in, uh, it's called tractate Kiddushun. And it says, it says, it is a shame for a woman to let her voice be heard among men. And also in Barakat Kiddushin, it says, the voice of a woman is filthy nakedness. Well, that's where you get that from, not from the law and certainly not from Paul. Uh, Paul was not a fan of those kinds of things, uh, in my opinion. I think I think um, if you take 1 Corinthians, especially just uh, everything that's in it, uh, and, and certainly I think this is why um, some translations of first Corinthians immediately after that section, uh, there's an exclamation that says, what? And then, and then that's when Paul says, did the word of God originate with you? And then he basically tells them, look, just listen to everything I have taught you in this letter, which basically contradicts those two sentences. So again, I, I think that Paul gets a bad rap on this stuff and Paul gets accused of things that he may have written in the letter, but that's not the point he was trying to make. Yes, sure. I actually agree with sure. you guys. I, I don't think Paul was anti-women. What? Whoa! Totally, totally. Take I, a think shot. It, I think it's a, it's a misnomer. I, I, I totally. I, it's, I, I know it may seem like that I'm, I'm anti-Paul. I'm really not. I like Paul. I think Paul's a very necessary voice in the church and and was in the on his day. And, um, I think, I think, uh, he was, I think he gets a bad rap. I think there's a, there's, if for people who want to do the work, there's enough evidence to realize that, yeah, he's answering a letter. Like he's the statements that get, you know, obviously they didn't have a quoting system like we have. So, you know, there's yeah, like, right. yeah, he's answering a, an argument the right. Talmud, what, which was considered the law right. in, in the Jewish law was anti-women and he was quoting that and then refuting that. Totally. I totally get that. My, my issue with Paul and I would love at some point. Maybe we could do this. I don't think Paul was perfect. Um, what? Obviously, and and I, I actually, I actually, I actually think that Paul's writings 
were not perfect either. I think there's some problematic things that he teaches, and I, it would maybe for a later episode, oh, yeah, maybe we could talk about. We, no, that's right. I want to know which one. I, I can't wait. Let's do it. Well, not the crucifying Paul, but there's about <laughs> something. There's really Paul has hit Paul's words. The fact that we're still talking about Paul's letters, who were not written to us, by the way, and not for us. The fact that we're still talking about them, trying to figure out what God's heart for the church is, is, is the problem. And the reason for that is because Paul, Paul's writings, Paul's words, have been elevated in the fourth century, leading up to the fourth century to the exclusion of every other voice in the church. And even, even and Jesus, I, even Jesus. Of well, course. That's what really but people, yeah, people take Jesus' words and do the same yeah, thing. Yeah, but so, what I'm saying is that I think that, you know, we're talking about wanting to understand the heart of Jesus. So a lot of times, I think if you really want to understand the heart of Jesus, you you can look at Jesus for yeah, that, not Paul. And again, Paul, I'm not knocking, that's not a knock on Paul. And I think there, Paul, you know, worked out, walked out his journey you know, beautifully the way he needed to do it. I just don't, I just think it might be helpful at some point that we could actually do an episode in which we talk about the ways that we actually think Paul, we don't see it that we don't see things from his perspective. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know if you guys have the, I have several things I would go. Yeah, that's not helpful. Paul, Paul's teaching here is not helpful because I don't think Paul, I think Paul was like us. He was on a journey. He's working it out. He had a beautiful revelation, which was needed. But again, when we when it comes to women, the topic of women in the church and what is the role of, of a woman, we can try to figure out what Paul meant, which can be helpful for sure. <laughs> or we could listen to women, which I actually think, well, again, I'm not to beat a dead horse, but what if there was a woman that actually wrote things, talked about, had a vibrant teaching ministry, that actually there were groups in different parts of the world that were directly the recipients of her teaching that and i'm talking about mary magdalene i actually what? wait wait who? Oh, of course, you, of, of, of course I, you are i am talking about mary magdalene but i actually think like there is so much i mean this is not like a secret that she didn't just disappear she wasn't like beamed up to some spaceship after jesus resurrected she actually went places are you sure are you sure because i saw a thing on tv that said she might have been Picked up by an, an alien no, no, no. She had a voice. And so, like, can you imagine someone, like, if, if her voice was actually known, if it had been not suppressed? I mean, this argument that somehow women should be silent would be like, well, that's ridiculous. Well, because- I agree. Yeah, so. <laughs> well, but I I agree that, I, but I think that, okay, so I just want to say two quick things, and oh, Keith, yeah. you can go. Um, I think Paul would also be quite offended that women were um, suppressed. And I think if, if people want to know how, how to read Paul. The best thing for my money is go read Doug Campbell because Doug Campbell argues like Romans one through four, Paul is not ever saying what, uh, uh, what he believes theologically until, until chapter five of Romans, for instance. So that's just one, one instance where I think we, we misinterpret Paul and, and Mm -hmm. I think he'd be right there with you. Like, no, this is bullshit. And probably Paul would say, this is bullshit that women are being silenced. Yeah. And he Uh, would. Yes. he would. But Mary would say that too. Probably. Oh, I, I, I agree, but, but I, but I wouldn't pit Mary against Paul, for instance. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, no, and yeah. I, but you know the. Um, I'm sorry, Matt. Were you done? Yeah, I'm done. Yeah, go for it. Okay, so because what I, I just wanted to say, like I, uh, I agree, uh, believe it or not, a little bit with with where Jamal is going anyway <laughs> on this idea. It happens uh, more and more. We're not surprised anymore. But I don't. <laughs> no, but see, but no, but let me. I got to clarify it because I think. I don't think it. Uh, it's only that Mary was silenced. I think that all women were silenced. And this is the, to me, the most troubling thing is that 
I, again, this is my perspective. I think Jesus honored women. I think Jesus empowered women. I think he was radically inclusive. There's a great book called Jesus Feminist. I, I totally believe Jesus was a feminist. I, and again, I even think Paul was very open uh, about women, wanting women to be prophesying and teaching and, and, and you know, deacons and elders and, uh, you know, all that. I think they were evangelists. I mean, we have evidence in the New Testament of women filling all the fivefold ministry roles. Uh, and so I think that's beautiful. This, the, the depressing thing is how quickly after that, um, the early church, and, and again, I'm a fan of the early church and the early church fathers, but on this, I'm very sadly disappointed because it very, very quickly became a boys club. Women were silenced. It became a, a male-dominated, male-centric um, leadership. And uh, and that's very depressing to me and very sad to me. And I, one of the saddest things to me was reading a book that quoted some of my favorite church fathers and reading some of the most horrific statements about women, I, I was like so, so sad and so disappointed. I wanted to reach back through time and just slap the crap out of them. Like, non, non-violently, right? <laughs> non-violently slap them, <laughs> yes, with a wet noodle. Uh, but, it's, uh, but, but that's the sad testimony is that yeah, the church has a, has a uh, very, very sad, unfortunate history of silencing women very, very quickly uh, after Jesus and after after Paul. Well, yeah, and actually, there's a lot of writings in some of the, the the non-canonical gospels that are out there that indicate that there was a falling out between Mary Magdalene and Peter because right. Mary right. was speaking and teaching things that Jesus had taught her. Obviously, they had a very different kind of relationship than the rest of the disciples, and so when she started sharing some of these things, which they asked her to do according to these writings. Then they were like, well, why didn't he ever tell us this? And why would he, you know, why do you, and it was almost the sense of jealousy at the nature of her relationship with Jesus versus theirs. And then that division, there was a division amongst the disciples. And and there's a lot of, I mean, I personally believe there's a lot of evidence to bear that out in the later years that certain disciples kind of gravitated towards Mary and then the other ones gravitated towards Peter. And we know from history, the Roman Catholic history that was shaped, that they, that the voice and the, and the people who, that became these official spokespeople were people in those, in the lines of Peter. And then obviously with Paul and that's that those are the ones that got to speak and, you know, their writings were preserved and, well, and, 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 and spread to the churches and, and the other ones were kind of just silenced out and kind of went their way and, you know, then eventually called her, heretical, their teachings were deemed heretical and you, we don't hear much about what they went on to do. You know, the Acts of the Apostles, the book of Acts is really the Acts that it sets up Paul. It sets up Paul's voice. Again, n- nothing wrong with Paul, but that wasn't the whole story. There were more Acts of the Apostles than the ones indicated in that, right? Well, now. and I just think chiefly the Apostle of the Apostles. And I don't disagree with anything you're saying, I don't think, but it's just ironic that, like, if you talk about Paul, what Paul thought, or what Paul was doing versus like James, the Jerusalem church, even Peter, they're completely at odds as well. Because Paul is all about like, no, of course you don't have to be a Gentile and then get your, you know, get your penis snipped if you're a man, you know, all this stuff. So when it comes to women, I I don't really know what Peter's view on women was. Um, I don't know what Peter's view on like women in ministry, but I'm pretty confident of, of two things. If Paul, or I don't think Paul was anti-women in ministry. Otherwise, there's no way he would send Phoebe to go read the, the letter to the Romans. And, right. and, and if yeah. he would, right. fuck Paul. 
I'll say it. I'll be the, I'll be, I mean, honestly, like if he's telling women you can't preach, are you serious? Like, have you ever had a woman professor at seminary? A lot of people have, and they do a great job teaching and they're very good leaders. Like if you're going to tell them to shut up, yeah, go fuck yourself. I mean, I don't know. And if Paul was like that, I would tell Paul to fuck himself. And, and I would say, Paul, I thought you said there was no male and female. Yeah. Yeah. Did you not mean that? Did you not? No, I don't think Paul, I, I agree with you, Matt. I don't think Paul was saying was saying any of those things about women at all. I think he, Paul was a champion of women, but it's like this again, again, look at our political system for a second to use that as an example. You know, there are a lot of people who have a lot of great ideas, especially when you take the presidential election, you know, you have, there's a lot of brilliant people out there, but they may not be, you know, what we hear, what we get presented to us is we have the Democrat who says this, and then we have the Republican who says this, and they disagree with each other, and we get to hear those. But you don't really hear a third-party perspective very often or very credibly. It's not You don't really hear a perspective because that kind of violates the, the system, so to speak. So in, we've been given the, you know, the narrative that was created was we see the divisions between Paul and Peter, and that's kind of on display. But these are two men that are kind of differing. But but again, we don't get to hear from anybody else that may have had, you know, difference of opinion or may have another perspective to add because again, that threatens the system, the status quo. So in, just like in the political system, like we want to uphold the two-party system, the Republicans and Democrats and if anybody else has any thoughts, well, that's going to that's going to rock the boat a little bit too much. So we'll just we we can just have this debate going back and forth about who was right, the Republican or the Democrat, but I really honestly think there was you know, there was some division. My personal belief is that there was probably some division within the disciples, chiefly right after the resurrection, you know, and, you know, we don't get to hear how Mary's um, emphasis, the things that she was teaching was vastly different, had a different flavor um, than, than the other disciples, because we, it's just not, it's not even, they don't, she doesn't make the debate, so to speak, like to use the presidential uh, analogy, like she doesn't get on the stage to even have the debate because we don't even know what she's saying. Because again, we only hear from the two predominant people that are allowed yeah. to have a voice. Yeah. And you know, um, I, one of my favorite theories, I mean, again, we'll never know, but you know, it's one of the mysteries of the, of the Christian churches who wrote Hebrews. And one of my favorite theories is that it was Priscilla. And, um, I know again, we'll never know. But it is curious. The reason why I think it could have been a woman, if not Priscilla, it could have been another woman. Um, or who knows? Maybe Mary Magdalene wrote it. But um, but, yeah. but here's why I think it would be. It yeah. is. It's likely that it could have been a woman because the 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 salutation at the beginning of it is missing. And I think I could see the early church cutting that part out because they were offended that it was a woman. But they they appreciated what was contained in it so much that they kept it. But they just wanted to remove the fact that it was written by a woman. Uh, I, that's just a crazy conspiracy theory, but let's get back to, let's get back to first <laughs> Timothy. Uh, cause the other, the other big passage is first Timothy chapter two. Uh, and this is when, uh, when, when pastors and preachers want to silence women, I mean, probably one of their favorite ones is first Timothy chapter two, where Paul says, I did not permit a woman to teach and all that. Uh, I, by the way, I cover this in my book, Jesus Unbound. So I'm going to give you a plug. I have a whole chapter where I deal with this, uh, those two passages, but here's the, here's the real simple thing. I'm going to try and just, very, very simply um, explain something I think that people really miss when it comes to this First Timothy passage is that, and here's the thing, all the clues are right there in the Bible for you. So at the very beginning of First Timothy, right. Paul tells is writing a letter to Timothy, and he tells Timothy to remain in Ephesus. Okay, now do a word study in your concordance and look at, look at uh, what else you know about the, the city of Ephesus, and you'll see the reference in the book of Acts to when Paul was in Ephesus, 
and he uh, did some things that people there didn't like. They kind of um, uh, threatened Artemis worship. Because by the way, in Ephesus was this massive temple to Artemis or Diana. Uh, and he, what you read in the book of Acts is they got so pissed off, they chanted for over an hour, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So they people in Ephesus were crazy about Artemis, okay? Artemis worship was huge. Now, you need to know that. If you understand that Artemis worship was huge in Ephesus, and keep that in your mind when you read 1 Timothy, you'll a lot of things will come, come to make sense, a whole lot of sense. For example, Artemis was a female-driven cult. Uh, they had women priests where women were in charge. Uh, the Artemis religion also taught that women were created first, not men which is the reason why Paul emphasizes in 1 Timothy that man was created first and not women, because again, he's trying to correct the Artemis teaching. Um, he makes a reference to uh, a person who is a problem in that church. There's a specific person who's a problem in the church and then immediately starts talking about a woman. Not all women everywhere, a woman, a particular woman that he and Timothy, they, they know who they're talking about. Um, the other thing you need to know about Artemis worship is that the way women would worship Artemis would be to adorn and braid their hair. Huh. Maybe that's why Paul in 1 Timothy says that he wants the women in the church there in Ephesus to dress modestly and not to braid their hair. He does. It's not that he cares about women braiding their hair. He wouldn't have said that to other churches and other people in other places. He's just trying to say to Timothy, hey, tell the women not to make an appearance as if and maybe they really were secretly, that they're, that they're worshiping Artemis. Now, here's the other thing you need to know about Artemis worship. The reason a woman would braid her hair like that, uh, if she was wanting to appeal, uh, appeal to, to Diana or to Artemis, was simply this, so that when she got pregnant, she and her child would be saved in childbirth. Now, that makes sense of one of the most confusing passages in the entire Bible in 1 Timothy, because in 1 Timothy, Paul says, that women will be saved in childbirth if they continue to trust in the Lord. Do you understand why he's saying that now, if you understand Artemis worship and how it works? And, and what all he's trying to tell Timothy is to encourage the women there, that if they trust in the Lord, that God will protect them in their child and childbirth, and they don't have to appeal to Artemis. So again, if you understand all of this background information, all this cultural information that, frankly, we don't really have, and yes, you're going to have to do a little bit of study to find out, but then it unlocks this whole passage. And you realize that Paul isn't trying to say, I don't permit women anywhere to teach anyone. Also, the other problem is we have this crazy idea, probably from this passage, that if someone teaches you, they, they are an authority over you. That is not the case. When someone teaches you, they're not in authority over you. But we have, we have this crazy idea that if someone's a teacher, quote unquote, pastor, in a church, you better shut up and listen to them because they have the power and they have the authority. But Paul didn't believe that. Paul told everyone in the body of Christ to submit to one another. We all submit to one another, right. not to the teacher. And the teacher, if he teaches you something, isn't an authority over you. Now, Paul does say in Timothy, I don't mm. permit a woman to teach for the purpose of having authority over a man. But I promise you, Paul wouldn't allow a man to teach uh, in a church for the purpose of having authority over a man either. Like he doesn't want anyone to have that authority. We all submit to Christ 
and we all submit to one another. Mm. So anyway, that's just my that's my take on First Timothy. No, I I think that's really important, and we have to remember that every letter Paul wrote, and even if we accept some of the Paul uh, some of the literature that might be pseudo Paul or Deutero Paul or, or you know a disciple of Paul, um. <sighs> It's in a certain context. He's speaking to a certain situation. There's a certain situation going on in Galatia. There's a certain situation going on in Rome. There's a certain situation going on in Ephesus. That's why he's talking to Timothy, if, if he wrote that letter. And he's addressing this one issue. This is not an injunction against women for all of time. And if it is, it's caused so much pain and so much oppression and so much uh, patriarchy and male dominance that if that's the case, we need to get rid of it. And I'm not suggesting right. it is. I, I, I no. don't think Paul's saying that, but if that's if that's the interpretation of Paul that we're going to take, if we're going to use this to say that women can't be pastors and men, women have to do this and they can, you know, they can go deal with the kids on in Sunday school, but the men are going to talk at the pulpit, then then I think I don't think this is Paul, but he needs to go. But <laughs> I, but I wouldn't say but I wouldn't say that. Because because that's just a misinterpretation of Paul, just like yeah. so many misinterpretations. Totally, of the Bible. totally, yeah. and I totally love your explanations, I love, uh, Keith. I love what you had to say say about, uh, you know, Paul was speaking very specifically to a very contextual issue that was going on regarding Artemis worship. That's brilliant, and I think it's really important for us to understand what he was saying in that. But there is an elephant in the room that's not being talked about. Okay, and the elephant in the room, and again, maybe we can touch on this. Is probably another episode, but this is one of the things that's being laid down that I think is 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 probably it's i believe it to be very destructive and and was destructive and i also think it's the reason the roman catholics in the 4th century so wanted to have paul's letters uh saved and established because you can see in them the beginnings of hierarchy meaning yep. when paul says when paul writes to timothy hey timothy tell these people i do not permit this woman well who is paul to say that now, I, and that might sound presumptuous, but Paul doesn't have the authority to tell anybody, whether it's one woman or women for all time or anybody, to say, you do not, you can't do this, you, can, you have to be quiet. He can express his heart and his, he can express his opinion and he can express his thoughts about the situation and, and, and speak into that. But to have the sense of like, I do not permit. Well, but I don't think Paul was thinking he's writing like the word of God. He's just writing a letter. Right, exactly. He's not writing the but Bible. Do think, Paul doesn't think, hey, I, I'm going to write uh, the Bible. I'm writing a chapter of the New Testament. I think he's speaking kind of authoritatively, though, to Timothy to pass but this message on. But shouldn't we all, if, someone, if someone's trying to have authority over others and, and to do that, shouldn't we have some authority to say like, that's bullshit? Well, I yeah, think yeah. I think we can express our. No matter who you are, we can express. No who you are, you should. Well, know. I think we can express our. Uh, I, we can express our opinion in the situation, but to 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 it's like pull the rank card is a, is not the to me is not the right response to say okay I'm an apostle and let me just tell you I'm going to pull rank on you now I just think that that and I think that is what Paul I think you make a great case that's exactly what Paul was doing and that actually established a hierarchy and again the Roman Catholics love this stuff. Because, because again, it established the sense of apostolic authority, which I think is a very bunk and a very misguided uh, concept um, that the that really shaped the early church, you know, moving forward. So, th th it was there. And uh, again, I don't think, you know, had we had the voice of Mary, I think we would have a very different perspective because I don't think she played the same game. Right. I don't you think know, she appealed to you know authority. What? I think you we know. should call a council and 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 put forth. <laughs> Hey, I'd be cool if there was a gospel that, of Mary that was actually in the canon. I'd be fine with that. Yes. <laughs>
That should be our next our, ne- our next uh, Patreon project will be if we raise enough money, we're going to publish our own version of the Bible. Let's do it. And let's put Mary Magdalene in there. Well, this has been a fun episode. So I think we solved all the problems. Three men. Three men solved all the problems about women. Uh, don't you? Of course. People are going to be pissed. <laughs> I was channeling Mary, though. And thank you for everyone who is supporting on GoFundMe. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. We love you. We love you. We love you.